You guys, it is the VBAC link. We are back. We are so happy. We're four weeks into this. And seriously, it is just making me smile every single time we record with another guest. It is Megan and Julie with the VBAC link. And we have a guest today. Her name is Carly, and she will be sharing her VBAC story. You guys, she's pretty stinking amazing. She does all the things. She, guys, cloth diapers, co-sleeps, like all, all the things. Like I'm like reading through her bio. I'm like, she's like amazing. You are so amazing. You like cloth diapering is kind of like a hard time, a hard thing to do. And the fact that you even do it part-time is amazing. Um, so I'm excited to get to know you even better and learn more about you right before we dive into your amazing story. We have Julie, of course, with a review of the week. Okay, so we already know that I have this weird thing where sometimes I feel like I need to be sometimes a singer on the podcast lately this season. So for this season, I don't even know what you call it. This next reboot, I'm not going to sing, but like I really wanted to sing because Carly's from Philadelphia. And if you know what song is triggering in my mind right now about <laughs> Philadelphia, I will not sing it. I've been like trying to like, because I think it's maybe a little bit weird. I don't want to be weird. <laughs> Probably weird. Oh my gosh, I'm weird. Oh my gosh, I'm so weird, guys. Okay, but anyways, I'm just gonna read a review of the week while you guys um, can sing the song I'm thinking about from Will Smith and um, Philadelphia and um, all that playground stuff where he spent most of his days. Uh, All right, so um, this review is from Kylie Momai from Apple Podcasts, and she said, and it's titled Listen if you're considering a VBAC. She said, My first child was born via emergency C section, and I felt very discouraged and afraid that my next birth could end up being a C section again. I started listening to this podcast for information, and what I got was so much more. The stories shared are so raw, emotional, and amazing. They helped me prioritize a supportive VBAC team, gave me the right questions to ask my providers, and filled me with confidence and knowledge to do what was best for me and my baby. My second child was born via VBAC, and I'm so grateful to the VBAC link for helping me overcome the fears I had with my previous birth and helped me to prepare emotionally for my second birth, however it turned out. I love that review. Thank you so much, Kylie. Oh my gosh. All these warm and fuzzies are, are kind of making me tear up a little bit. I, I don't really no. think how much I have missed that. And I know. Yeah. <laughs> if you're loving the podcast and you love having it back, we would love to hear it from you. So please drop us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Actually, I think not very many of them you can leave reviews on, but you can leave one on Apple Podcasts for sure. You can go to Google and just Google the VBAC link and drop us a review there. Or you could leave us a review on Facebook because not a lot of people do that anymore. It's so strange. We used to leave like a ton of Facebook reviews and then all of a sudden they kind of tapered off. But I feel like Facebook might be like not prioritizing businesses in your newsfeed anymore. Maybe that's a little bit why, but Mm. if you want to show us a little bit of love and show us how grateful you are for having the podcast back, if you are, we would love to have a review in either one of those places. It definitely makes our day. My cheeks kind of hurt a little bit from smiling (laughs) right now from, from all this stuff. So thanks so much again, Kylie Momai. And thank you everybody that has taken time out of their day to put a smile on our face. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link Podcast with Julie Frankham and Megan Heaton. 
feedback moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. Okay, let's dive in to Carly's story about her two beautiful girls. I'm excited to hear both stories. A lot of the time, um, you know, we always say like, we're excited to hear the feedback story, but we're also excited to hear your C-section stories too. We're excited to um, hear those births because they matter just as much. Um, so Carly, let's turn the time over to you and talk about that. And okay. I'm just going to turn the time over. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. This is, this is amazing. Um, so I'll start with my C-section story. I found out that I was pregnant in April of 2018. I was finishing up student teaching. I was about to finish graduate school. I was applying for jobs, uh, going on interviews, putting together my portfolio and demo lessons. So it was a really chaotic time for me. It was stressful, uh, but it was also really exciting. I was wrapping up one period of my life and starting another, both in my personal life and in my professional life. So I went into the following school year as a first-year teacher and a first-time mom. I was about five and a half months pregnant when I started a new job, which was uh you know, a little overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, teaching can be overwhelming as it is. So I, it was a stressful couple of months. It was an exhausting couple of months for me. I had a normal, healthy pregnancy and I went into labor naturally with my first order. So uh, it was about nine days before my due date. I was at school and my water broke in the middle of the day. And it wasn't like a huge whoosh. It was like kind of like slow gushes throughout the day. And I wasn't having any contractions. And I wasn't even sure at first if it was my water that had broken. So I finished out the school day. I stayed after school for a couple hours to kind of put some things together for my substitute for the following week. And then by the time I got home around 5, 5.30, the contractions had started. And when they started, I mean, they were coming every couple of minutes. So I was having regular contractions once they started. I took a shower. Uh, My husband got home and I was like, listen, I think I'm in labor. We should head to the hospital. Uh, We stopped on the way for him to pick up something for dinner. And then by that point, I had called my mom to tell her, you know, I'm in labor, come to, you know, come whenever you're done. She was working, come whenever you're done work. Um, I wanted her in the delivery room with me. And at that point on the way to the hospital, I was timing them. They were coming every three minutes. So I was like, all right, you know, I'm in labor. This is good. When we arrived at the hospital, that's when things got a little crazy. So we arrived at the hospital during a shift change and they didn't know what to do with me. So they left me in a wheelchair in the waiting room. And when I say they left me, I mean, I was out there for about 40 minutes and no one ever really came to get me. My husband had to to go in twice. The first time I thought I was going to be sick. So he went to see if someone could get me a bag or a trash can. And the second time it was like, hey, you know, it's been so much time. We're still out here. Is anyone going to come get my wife? They finally came and got me. They took me back to triage. They checked me. I was six centimeters. They admitted me. Um, And at that point, they gave me an ultrasound to make sure my baby was head down. And I just remember my husband being like, look, there's her eye sockets. I can see her eye sockets. And I was so out of it. I didn't I didn't see. uh, But I remember him saying that. Um, So at that point, whoever it was a doctor who gave me the ultrasound, we knew that she was posterior. No one ever told me she was posterior. I didn't really know that was a thing at that point. 
but she, you could see her eye socket. She was face up. So the nurse was like, all right, we'll get you to your room. We'll get you your epidural. And I was like, hang on a second. I kind of don't know if I want an epidural. I had wanted to try to go unmedicated. During my labor class at the hospital, they had told me, you know, there was multiple methods of pain relief. They had a shower. You could use the gas, a birthing ball. What I didn't know was that you had to ask for those things and not even just ask, like you'd have to fight to get those things. No one offered Mm. me any other options. It was like, get your epidural and stay in bed. Um, Mm. So that's exactly what I did. I got my epidural. The anesthesiologist who gave me the epidural was a butthead, to put it very nicely. He was really a whole series of expletives that I probably can't say on your show, so I won't. Um, (laughs) He yelled at me at one point. First, he came in the room. He didn't even introduce himself. He yelled at me after as he was like inserting the epidural because I was like hunched over in the middle of a contraction. He yelled at me to lay down. And when I didn't, he grabbed me from behind by both my shoulders and pulled me back and threw me on the bed and then yelled at me again and was like, I told you, you need to lay down. What? And then he left the room. And that was like, whoa. At expletive, that point. expletive, expletive. <laughs> yeah, oh exactly. My gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. So it was at oh that point that gosh. I began to feel like kind of out of control of what was happening to me. I began to feel like this is not what I expected. This is not what I wanted for me and my baby. I felt like birth was like this was happening to me. I wasn't really a part of it. So I labored on my back, you know, with an epidural for a while. They brought me a peanut ball eventually. My nurse was, was amazing. It was freezing in the room. She brought me a couple extra blankets. And we found out later on that the thermostat in my room was set to probably about 44 degrees. It was very cold. And no one realized that no one adjusted the thermostat. We just assumed it was normal. The doctor who was working was a doctor from my practice who I had never met. Um, she was the only one I'd never met. And of course, she was the one who was, who was on. Um, so I labored. I dilated to 10 centimeters. I pushed for three hours. Um, and at one point in the middle of pushing, I was having like really bad heartburn. And I had asked a couple of different nurses. I had asked the doctor if I could have an antacid. And no one acknowledged really that they had heard me. No one answered me. No one told me, no, you're not allowed to, or we can't give you that now. No one came back with an antacid. And at one point they laid me flat on my back and I, all the acid in my stomach came up and I got sick all over the place. Mm. Mm. Um, they doctor, the doctor tried to use a vacuum. It didn't work. And at that point she was like, it's been three hours. Nothing's happening. My baby was still tolerating labor. Well, so I don't really know. I guess it was just like, I was on the clock times up, you know, C-section. So they took me back for a C-section. Um, the anesthesiologist there was much nicer. And I let him know he was a lot nicer than the first one. They strapped down my arms. I got sick again and I was shaking just so hard. Like I couldn't even hold my baby afterwards. And I just remember feeling totally out of control and just hating the fact that I felt totally out of control. No one explained to me what was going on. And afterwards I had to ask my doctor like, Hey, what happened? You know, baby stuck. And she was like, Oh yeah, she was sunny side up and stuck in your pelvis. And I was kind of like, we knew she was sunny side up. Like you didn't know that. And even if they had thought, I feel like looking back now, even if they had known that she had like had thought she was rotating during labor. Like at some point when, when I couldn't get her out, it might've, I don't know. This was my own personal, like it might've helped for someone to be like, Hey, oh yeah, she's posterior. Maybe we should try a different position where it's easier to get a posterior baby out. Or like sometimes a provider can actually help 
tongue a baby. Yes. Yeah. Like actually manually from the inside. I know it sounds invasive and it, and it, it is, it mm-hmm. is, um, but they can actually help turn like the doctor here in Utah, the like, it's amazing. He'll be like, okay, the baby's going to rotate this way. And then he'll just like, during pushing, he'll rotate mm-hmm. and baby will just whoop, head down, come right underneath the pubic bone. Yeah. Yeah. So it uh-huh. felt like there was no communication from like when we came into the hospital to my doctor. Um, uh-huh. So I felt afterwards, I, I was, I was like, I was devastated and I felt like I had been unheard, you know, during, during my stay at the hospital, I felt like misled about needing a C-section. I felt like um, I wasn't really an active participant of, of my birth. So I wanted to know whether or not I could still have, you know, a vaginal birth after that. So I did some Googling and I had talked to my husband's cousin who had had a C-section and she was planning on having a V-back for her next. And she did actually five months after I had my C-section. So she was a really great resource to talk to. Um, When I went for my six-week checkup, I had asked my doctor about it and she was like, yeah, you know, if there's 18 months between deliveries, it's no problem. But a couple months later, she left the practice and then I was wasn't sure whether other doctors would still be supportive of that. So fast forward to a little over a year later, uh, my husband and I started trying for baby number two in February of 2020. Uh, I got pregnant in March of 2020, about two weeks into our quarantine for COVID. And I immediately began doing research. And that's when I discovered you guys. And I listened to you every chance I got. My husband was still working at the time. He's a teacher. So he was still working but it was on like a modified schedule. This was the first time they had ever tried to do virtual learning and he's in the city teaching. So a lot of the kids don't have a computer. They don't have access to internet. So he was available to help me around the house with the little one when I was, you know, first trimester exhaustion and nausea. Uh, We had a lot of family time during quarantine, which was really cool. I still had to go to all my doctor's appointments alone. And as a second time mom, it was hard. So I can't even imagine for first time moms, like what that was like to do to do that over over uh, COVID. I had this fear of COVID, like, but also still wanted to be social with friends and family after our quarantine had ended. So that was like a conflicting time for me as far as trying to balance what was healthy for me and my baby, and still wanting to like celebrate my pregnancy with my family and my friends. And that was like a continual thing throughout the rest of my pregnancy. I was healthy, healthy pregnancy. And my 20-week anatomy scan, they had said that my baby's head had a lemon sign, which is when baby's head looks like it's shaped like a lemon. It's characteristic of spina bifida. So they said I they recommended I go for a level two ultrasound. I was trying not to Google too much and trying to be positive about it. I was also concerned that my dreams of a VBAC might not be able to happen. I went to maternal fetal medicine to get a level two ultrasound. And I went by myself because wasn't allowed to have anybody else come with me. Yeah. Which was uh, super stressful. You know, there were other women who were there too. And it was kind of like, Hey, we're alone in this together. together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, My baby ended up being okay, which was awesome. And I became more determined to get my V back after that. Um, I talked to my husband about switching to a midwife because I wasn't totally sure that my provider was V back friendly. And he wasn't necessarily on board at first. I tried to show him a lot of research that I had done. You know, women all over the world every day give birth with midwives. And I feel like we're one of the only, if not the only country where it's become so medicalized that doctors are the ones primarily delivering babies. We talked to one of his 
former coworkers who had two home births and a midwife. And she, I think she was really the one who helped convince them like, hey, not only is it safe, it might be safer. And you get that level of individualized care that you don't necessarily get with an OBGYN. Um, so I went to my 24-week appointment with my OB uh, with a list of questions to ask that I was like, if they answer them the way I think they're an- going to answer them, they're not really VBAC friendly. And I have you guys to thank for this because I think this is on one of your blog posts. This has been on, on your uh, podcast that I've listened to about how to tell if your provider is VBAC tolerant versus VBAC supportive. Yeah. Yep. We talk about um, it all day. Yes. So my doctor had answered questions like I thought she would. She started talking about, well, if your baby isn't too big. And I was like, well, what qualifies as like a big baby? My first baby was a little over eight pounds. And she was like, yeah, well, she was pretty big. Uh, So probably if, you know, babies around the same size, we'd recommend, you know, repeat C-section. Now, my mother, my sister and I were both over 11 pounds when we were born. And my mother birthed us naturally, vaginally. So to me, eight pounds is not a big baby. Um, So I was kind of like that threw a red flag for me. There were a couple of other questions I had asked that I was like, that's a red flag too. So I went home and I emailed two groups of midwives that week. I had a couple of virtual interviews with with them and I picked one who I really liked, um, who I went to see for my 28-week appointment. Um, I also switched hospitals at that time, the hospital that I would birth at. So my appointments went from about five minutes with my OB to like 45 minutes with my midwife, which was a huge change. Um, and I've really felt that that level of individualized care with them. I was still feeling a little unsure about whether I had made the right decision. And I think it was the week I decided to make the change. I had watched that show called The Midwife on Netflix. And um, it's a group of nuns who, who run the St. Raymond Donatus house, uh, who, if you don't, no, I'm Catholic. If you don't know, St. Raymond Donatus is the patron saint of midwives and women in labor. And later that day, I had picked up, my husband had gotten me this like daily reflection book for Catholic moms. Later that day, I had picked up this book before I went to bed and I hadn't read it in months. And I opened to the day, it was August 31st, and it just happened to be the feast day of St. Raymond Donatus. And that for me was like confirmation that I was making the right choice. Like this is This is, I had no doubts after that, that I had made the right choice. That's amazing. It was amazing. (laughs) I also, at this time, started seeing a chiropractor. I started hypnobirthing. I wanted to go fully unmedicated. I was doing the spinning babies. I was walking every week. I was doing lots of squats. I had made affirmation cards. I read different books. I watched movies. I had a motivational birth song that I listened to to help pump me up and get excited for like, I can do this. I can do this. I did a lot of research on like the labor process and labor positions and different stations. And I follow this woman on Instagram. Her Instagram account is Mama Stay Fit. And I think I found her on your podcast. I'm pretty sure you guys have her on your podcast. Yeah, we love her. Yeah, she's amazing. And I had screenshotted a whole bunch of her like labor stations, positions for labor. If you know where baby is, as baby comes through the pelvis, I had screenshotted all of these, printed them out and put them together in this like birth binder I had where I had all of everything I would need to take to the hospital with me. I had my birth affirmations. I had ultrasound pictures and, you know, like motivational, but also like informational. I didn't know whether necessarily I would be able to use it during labor, but I thought at least for my husband, maybe if he needed, you know, some help along the way, 
so during this time, I was looking forward to this pregnancy, my second pregnancy being a lot less stressful than my first. I was a stay-at-home mom now. I wasn't teaching anymore. We were living in the city in a duplex and our neighbors upstairs, the living situation had gone from bad to worse. So we were like, let's, let's look for a house. So we started house hunting at the time. My husband was back to school in the fall, fully virtual. So he was, at this point, they were, had a set schedule, but he was working probably from sunup to sundown for months on end, trying to adjust all of his lesson plans to be fully virtual, putting together things on the computer, which is totally different than in-person teaching. So I, I was taking care of our toddler. I was pregnant. I was doing all the mortgage paperwork and looking at houses, and it was not any less stressful than my first pregnancy. We found a house in October. We, I was hoping to make settlement and move in before baby came. Baby was due December, middle of December. We made settlement the week before Thanksgiving, and we found out that we weren't going to be able to move until after Christmas. So I was really disappointed about that and kind of unsure about, you know, moving with a, a newborn or potentially moving while having baby at the same time. Leading up to birth, I had, I was having prodromal labor off and on all week, my contractions would start at night, run for a couple hours, and then like fizzle out. So I went into labor actually the night before my due date. Uh, it was about 11 o'clock at night, and I wasn't sure whether this was real labor or not. I started timing my contractions. They were about three to four minutes apart. Uh, I texted my midwife at maybe one or two in the morning, and I was like, hey, my contractions are about four minutes apart. They texted me back and were like, okay, you know, try to relax, try to get some sleep if you can, uh, you know, lay in the bath, try not to think about it too much. So I couldn't get comfortable laying down. I went out to the living room. I, we were decorated for Christmas. So I put on our Christmas lights. Um, it was quiet. I had put on like some music and I just focused on breathing and breathing and breathing. At some point I got up and I had put on my TENS unit, which was amazing and really helped. Um, and I went back to just breathing and the hours just flew by. And before I knew it, it was about five o'clock in the morning. And I remember checking the time and thinking to myself, I had read somewhere along the way that second labors average about six hours. And I was like, it's about been about six hours for me. Like maybe I should wake my husband up and let him know that this isn't false labor. Like this is really labor. Maybe we should head to the hospital. The hospital I was going to deliver at was about 40 minutes away. I had to account for that. And I wasn't really sure when I should be leaving for the hospital. I hadn't been in contact with my midwife since the middle of the night. So I wasn't really sure like how far apart my contraction should be, what it should feel like. So around this point, my husband got up to go to the bathroom and he came out and he was like, okay, you're in labor. Um, and I was like, yes. And he's like, all right, I'm going to you know, email my principal. I'm going to call your sister. She was going to come watch our toddler. I said, all right, I'm going to jump in the shower real quick. So I got into the shower and the water just felt so good. And then all of a sudden I felt the urge to push. And I was like, oh boy. Okay. I was not expecting that, but I just, I couldn't, I couldn't move. The water felt so good. I just wanted to, I just wanted to lay in it. And finally I managed to like crawl out of the tub and I was laying on the bathroom floor, like trying to call for him. And he comes around in and I'm like, I'm, I'm pushing, we got to go. So he runs to get dressed. My poor sister, he called my sister in a panic and he's like, yeah, you need to get over here now. She, she tried to start the car. Her, there's ice on the windshield. It was a whole process for her to get to our house. 
by the time I finally got dressed and had brushed my hair and made it to the front door, she was just coming in the house. And I guess by this point, it was probably around seven in the morning. We were getting ready to go. My husband calls my midwife and is like, hey, Carly's pushing. I don't think we're going to make it to the hospital. It's 40 minutes away and rush hour traffic. It's going to be probably about, you know, maybe an hour and a half. And my midwife was like, okay, I can come to you guys. Do you want to try to go to a different hospital? My husband was like, I'm just going to take her to the closest hospital, which I knew was the hospital where I had my C-section and I did not want to go. And I was like, no, I don't want to go there. And he was like, we don't really have a choice. Like we're not having this baby in the car you know, on the, on the highway, on the way to the hospital. So we got in the car. I ran out the door in between contractions. I ran out the door without my phone. I ran out the door without shoes. I had my hairbrush and my glasses in my hand, which were like the two things I chose to bring to the hospital with me. My husband had already packed the car. We got there. Uh, I jumped out and they took me into the hospital at the hospital that I was originally supposed to give birth at, they had told us COVID restrictions for the winter were that when you go into the hospital, you bring everything in with you because you weren't allowed to leave once you were in, including baby's car seat. So my husband starts trying to grab everything out of the car to come in and they told him, oh, no, 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 you're not allowed up yet. They'll call down when they're ready for you. So they took me up by myself and he, I didn't have my phone. He had my phone and he was like, well, how are they going to, how's she going to call me? She's got her phone. I mean, he had my phone. So they took me up. I had about five people ask me on the way in. So I go in and I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm pushing, you know, baby's coming. Uh, have you given birth before? Yes, I was here. I had a C-section. Okay. So you're having another C-section. I was like, no, I'm, I'm pushing. I'm baby's coming out. I'm not, I had about five different people ask me if I was having another C-section which I thought was ridiculous. And I was all alone in there by myself trying to tell them that, no, baby's coming. I'm not consenting to a C-section. I am having a V-back and I'm going to push this baby out. And Mm. I felt like as soon as I walked in, they put me on the clock. It was like, you know, we'll give you so much time until, until, you know, you have the C-section. They checked me. I was at a zero station, which at this point I knew what that meant. One of the doctors asked me if I was having an epidural. She said, were you planning on having an epidural? And I was like, no. And then she laughed at me and she was like, good, because you're too late. And I was like, thank you. They finally let my husband up after I was in the delivery room. And one of the nurses was talking about a C-section and it felt so good to finally have him because then he could advocate for me. He was like, no, we're not doing that. She's having a V-back. I, I had wanted to push in certain positions and they, I wasn't making fast enough progress for them. So, of course, I ended up on my back. But I had learned from Gina that if you do push on your back to roll up a towel and put it under your lower back. So I asked them at some point, hey, can you put a, t- a rolled up towel under my lower back? Um, and they did. And I felt like that gave me more room to get the baby out. They gave me a mirror and I remember looking and seeing the top of her head and being like, I think she, I think she might be face up, but I wasn't sure. When I did push her out, I found out that she was born sunny side up, Wow! Um, which was for me felt like I felt like totally vindicated because that was the issue I had with my first one. I, you know, she was sunny side up. I couldn't get her out. So to actually push this baby out felt just so amazing to me. I got my skin to skin and I had asked the doctor if we could wait to cut the cord. She said to my husband, you want to cut the cord? And I said, hey, can we wait a little bit? And she just looked at me and she was like, it's been two minutes. How long do you want to wait? Oh, my gosh. And then at that point, (laughs) 
And then at that point, the placenta had found its way out. And then it was, you know, my husband cut the cord and I was just so happy. It didn't, you know, I, none of that stuff even mattered to me anymore. I let it all go. So, I mean, that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. To add to all that craziness, we moved two weeks later when my baby was just born and to be finally in our house in our own space, like, and to get settled in has just been amazing. So we've been here for a little over a year and a half, a little over a year. I'm sorry. So I, if it's up to me, I will never give birth in a hospital again. If I have another baby, I will absolutely pursue a home birth. I won't, I won't give birth in a hospital again unless I absolutely have to. Uh, I've heard horror stories that are way worse than anything I've gone through. But, but still, like from being thrown on beds, being kind of like harassed and asked like multiple times if you're doing something that you're clearly not. Exactly. Like being like, well, isn't that long enough? Like just... I can understand why, where you would be coming from because you haven't been treated the best. You haven't had the best experience personally. No, no not yeah. at all. Yeah, absolutely. I understand that. That's why I had home births. It's really interesting. And um, I was going to read a review this on this episode, but I couldn't find it. So I read a different one. And I think I'm going to read it on the next episode that we do because it's really interesting. And um, it's actually from a labor and delivery nurse. And it talks about how Sometimes people that have had a previous cesarean have an overall mistrust about hospitals and doctors and the system and interventions and everything like that. And she has a really good point because a lot of OBs and nurses really um, want what's best for you. But then there's experiences like this when there's just complete lack of disrespect that is like, well, clearly there's a big reason why. Mm -hmm. A lot of parents are learning and being taught to distrust the system and are being pushed out of the hospital and feeling they have no other option to be respected except for having home birth. Now, we know that home birth is safe and reasonable option for low-risk parents. There's been lots of studies that come out in recent years showing that there's no increase in safety for parents and baby by being for, for low risk for parents, right? Of course, there's times when there's medical necessary for both mom and baby's health for babies to be born in a hospital, but the overall mortality rates and health issues for low risk women and their babies born out of hospital is similar between hospital and home birth. And I, I use the word pushed out of the hospital system in home birth, but a lot of parents feel that they don't have a choice to be respected except for giving birth at home. And that's not, that's not good. That's mm-hmm. not good at all. And I uh, obviously a huge advocate for home birth, but I want people to feel supported wherever they choose to birth and home hospital birth is a great option. Home, should be a great option. Home birth should be a great option too. It is a great option. Both are great. As long as you have a trusted space that you feel safe in and you should absolutely feel safe wherever you give birth. And Mm -hmm. the reality of our days are that a lot of women are not feeling respected and safe in the hospital birth. Now, there are a lot of really incredible hospitals and really incredible providers and nurses all over the country that are working to make the space more safe for birthing families, but there's still, we still have a long ways to go. We do. We're coming there. We're we're, we're slowly coming, but I also can relate. I mean, after my two C-sections, I chose a birth center birth with a midwife and I 
I don't think I would have had the same experience the whole time, but I also think that really was a big part of like my provider. You know, my provider was someone that could be with there for me all the time. And I didn't have all those different people coming in, asking me different things and trying to do different things. And it was, it was really nice because I could honestly, I could hardly focus on even like getting the baby out, let alone like anything else going on. So yeah, it's just important to have a good plan know who you want to go to and I don't blame you at all for wanting to experience a home birth plus it sounds like I mean sounds like you're a great candidate I'm all for that (laughs) yeah trying to get in the car the icy car like traveling oh yeah way too much work (laughs) all of that when you probably could have just like honed in and probably had a baby yeah pretty quickly yeah 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 Oh, well, thank you so much. I am so proud of you. We did. We talked about advocacy last week and everything, but I mean, really you, it sucks. I'm sorry that you had to experience it like that and like being alone and COVID just sucked. It just sucked. Mm -hmm. I hate, I hate it. I hate what it has done to so many people. We have so many emails in our box from people that have experienced trauma and things like that from being left alone or yeah it's just it it was a disservice to mental health mental health in so many ways and yes I'm sorry that you had to be in that place but I'm yeah, also but, really happy for you but you know thanks to you guys and and you know as informed you kept me informed about options and and my rights that I had the confidence to stand up for myself and be like no this is what I want and I'm gonna get it yeah. Yeah. We're proud of you. We're proud of you for taking the time to gain that knowledge and that confidence and putting in the work because it, it clearly paid off. I know that there's still a lot of things that didn't go the way that you wanted, but I'm proud of you for taking that time and getting that confidence and doing the work because not everybody does that. Not everybody does that. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. I, um, I, feel like I, for most doctors and, and nurses in the hospital, it's kind of like it's routine for them. You know, they see births every day. They do C-sections every day. But for for us, it's, it's. I mean, the first time I became a mom was literally once in a lifetime experience for me. And mm-hmm. I felt like that had been stepped on for so many different reasons. And the second time around, I was like, I'm, I'm going to fight for this. I had a determination. I, I had a fire in my belly about it. I was informed. I felt confident and I felt confident enough to walk in there and be like, I know I have the right to say no to you instead of just agreeing to whatever they recommend for me. And to have yeah. that, to have that confidence was pretty empowering. Like I went in there feeling pretty empowered to, to be able to stand up for myself. And I'm, I'm a people pleaser by nature. I'm not one to be like, you know, to try to ruffle any feathers or, you know, rock the boat. So for me, that was huge. It was huge to be like, I can go in there and I can advocate for myself and my baby and, and not care what anybody has to say to me about it. Yeah. Mm. Get it, girl. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> <laughs> love that. I love that. That's speaking my language all day long. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, awesome. Well, we're, we're again, we're really proud of you and, and, 
we know that you're going to inspire a lot of people because sometimes you just need to hear that other people do this too. And it's okay. And that kind of like gives you permission to do Mm -hmm. it for yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not that you need permission, but it kind of feels good to know that you're not alone. You're not the first one to do this and you're not going to be the last one to do it. So we're, we're again, great, super grateful for you for coming on and sharing your experience with us and with everybody else who's listening right now. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This has been amazing. You guys are amazing. Uh, the work you do changes lives. It really does. So we appreciate, we appreciate what you do. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Tell us about your experience at the vbacklink.com slash share. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julian Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.